and welcome to part two of our podcast, Captivated Audience, featuring Eric Wagner. We continue our discussion with Eric around the E-IDIS regulation for EKYC, and we ask Eric to explain the levels of assurance that are described under E-IDIS and how the working group in their recent paper have suggested changes to it. Tell me real quick, yeah. people won't understand what the levels of assurance mean. We have three different levels of assurance, low, substantial, and high. And low means self-declared. So like I'm stating here now, my name is Eric Wagner, and you can believe me or not. Yeah? Substantial means it is somewhat corroborated. So I have, an, for example, a passport, a national ID card, I have a picture on it, and say, oh, I hold it next to me and say, well, this is my ID card. And look at the picture. It looks like me, hopefully. And so this is then a kind of substantial level. And high level means... We define it in a quite stringent way, a new way, and this is where we, we and the ICE Corporation Network deviated substantially, is that we say we gain access from the trusted sources. So those who issued these attributes verify them. It doesn't mean that one institute or one governmental service can verify all KYC attributes. This is not the case. For example, um, a name and date of birth. Well, there are some basic uh, governmental services and some central uh, repositories, databases may store this information. But believe it or not, not everything is there. For example, address. Address is something which is also necessary for identification of a certain use cases. We need to gather this information. There's also differences in member states. For example, in Austria, we have a central register for that, which we can query and verify that past. For example, in, in, in France, there is no such thing. Yeah? So how do you verify the address there? You come with the utility bill. So this is not, in our terms, not any more high-level assurance, not a trusted source. It's also corroborated. So this is then substantial. That's how we define these level of assurances. We also differentiated the document types, which is based upon or corroborate. We use corroboration for that. We this thing took over a, a definition that was presented also in the European Commission Expert Group in the beginning. So type one to four documents. One means paper-based, whatever this is, um, yeah, not very trustful. Then we have uh, type two and three documents. Type two means this is a national ID card without the chip, but with a machine-readable zone, so which we can use for OCR, so optical recognition, and then reading this uh, electronically. Type three means it has a chip on it, which you can read, like a European passport, the newer ones, of course. Yeah? And type four means there is no physical document anymore. It's purely digital, yet to be designed. German, for example, EID goes in this direction, and also our uh, mobile signature yes, goes into this direction. So talk about the fourth level then. Is there where we will see biometrics, for instance, coming into play? This is a completely different beast. This is another dimension of authentication. The verifiers, so reliable independent third parties who provide something like the French utility bill or the, the issuer, the document types and the last element was the authentication we authenticate the person itself the document that's not forged or faked plus the combination of these two the linkage that the document <laughs> represents this physical person for example these are the three different authentication mechanisms we need to cover here and therefore we defined a kind of high level framework but didn't went into too much detail because there were already other institutes working on this like for example Norwegian bits, uh, they provided respective paper here, which is very good. Yeah? And also the German BIS was also providing a respective guidance paper. The German ones were a bit too abstract, but technologically advanced. 
but the bits was very down to earth, understandable, but not that technology advanced. So we would recommend the European Commission to combine these two and provide a joint paper on that. Banks will want to be sure if they're going to rely on this, that it's secure. Consumers can still conceal their identity using these programs. I mean, did that go into the thinking or analysis of the group? This is something we covered when it comes to the, especially in the enrollment process, so where it all starts. The earlier you invest more effort into ensuring the right identity, the easier and the more automated it becomes in the future for ongoing subsequent processes. So that's why we put heavy thought on that. And we said um, it must be assured that during the enrollment process, the person and the cooperative infrastructure, like a mobile phone or a decal, whatever, is of the highest level. Otherwise, there is no high level of assurance. In subsequent processes, this must be adhered to accordingly. So the weakest link defines the level of assurance. If the weakest link is substantial, everything is high, the overall process is considered substantial. The idea was also to have, because we cannot uh, change Europe in one day, to start with, to say it's okay with a standard and high level of assurance in the beginning. But the more the member states could agree on common standards and of hopefully also <laughs> common infrastructure, the more we could get rid of this, the substantial ones and make them uh, not eligible anymore. But it's not the case yet, and we are, we are years away from that, unfortunately. In that paper, you make a very interesting observation, and one in which I saw as a potential risk to the amendments made by the 5AMLD, and that was in relation to authorizing, registering, and so forth, eKYC providers. You use the term regulatory arbitrage as a risk. What was meant by that when you were considering being able to use eIDAS across the private sector? So in order to be as neutral as possible, they, had, they want to use as few standards as possible and leave the rest open, like this EIDAS, um, which is only ranks for attributes. Then you identify a person. Everything else, how you do this, is left up to the uh, national states because not everybody has, has restrictive registers, have different means of identification, have different means of infrastructure have different means of uh, centralization. For example, Germany is very decentralized, uh, whereas France is very centralized. So to accommodate all of these um, differences and different levels of assurance was the reason for being quite vague in the requirements. And this leaves up room, of course, uh, for local implementations. The only thing which is good was that the yeah, says member states are liable, which makes it more trustworthy. So you remember when uh, we began to authorize supporters of cryptocurrencies and payment service processors and lots of what are now less innovative businesses, we were concerned they were all going to European jurisdictions where the licensing could happen the fastest and the easiest. Isn't there a risk here in, in terms of exactly what you're describing that the, the jurisdictions, the member states with a high risk appetite will say, oh, we don't, we low levels of uh, assurance and then others or who are scrutinized more closely will be like super strict. This is absolutely the case. If you look at the eBay registers for so-called e-money service providers, you can see a clear tendency here. So most of them, which are registered for the whole European area, located in Cyprus or Malta, and a very few are in Germany. This might be an indication, for example, for the restrictive behavior of approval processes and enrollment processes in various member states. Let's talk about that because that's interesting also from a regulator's perspective, I would say. Uh, absolutely. Unfortunately, the regulators don't align here much because every member state is, um, has its own sovereignty and they don't want to align too much on that which is a pity from my perspective, and we elaborated vastly on that, but couldn't come to a conclusion uh, with, the, with the various uh, regulators. 
some the more advanced yeah of course uh, would support our approach and the less so advanced were quite hesitant to follow up because what we say said was um, proposed to level uh, the respective uh, legislations and also requirements unfortunately we didn't come to a conclusion here but we made the first step but what we saw is uh, several calls for action from the european parliament from the european commission and the new fifth anti-money directive especially for information sharing when it comes to combating financial crime like money laundering or terror financing here the european commission european commission was not that satisfied with the local regulators and the performance here and also the eba the new chairman in his initial uh, speech uh, was stating that we shouldn't have too many different legislations hindering each other and not uh, raising kind of regulatory arbitrage within the European Communion. Then we have another beast, GDPR. Two examples here. Uh, one is the, the verifiers. I distinguish between the RITPs, the reliable independent third parties, uh, who gather data from as many sources as possible, put them in a big data pot, yeah? and then provide the respective KYC services, whatever this means then in the end, uh, to companies who, who, who require them. This, of course, imposes a certain risk and users are, are not always knowing what is being gathered and what is being shared. So this is kind of interesting and should be also covered somewhere, somewhere, somehow. And uh, when it comes to the uh, issues, the trusted sources, it would be interesting to have them combined in a kind of technological and, and process framework where they can contribute their respective share of the KYC to an overall KYC solution. This is where we also elaborated on a further evolution of EIDOS, which is currently more node-based. So one central node knows the whole traffic and knows everything about what the customer approves or doesn't approve when it comes to data sharing, like all federated approaches. But the so-called self-sovereign identity approach goes in a different direction. There are two different aspects to that. The general thinking that um, each individual should have their own say about what his identity means. Well, I don't concur on that, to be honest. But I do concur that the respective underlying technology is very useful for separating and, and decentralizing the infrastructure in a way where the trusted sources can connect with each other or on a, on a, on a shared network and provide apps for, for verifiers or banks like us uh, who can then make use of this network. This was something we elaborated also um, and there are also initiatives ongoing investigating that. We even had a presentation about how to connect EIDAS with a self-serving identity framework different approaches. Italy is an approach, Austria made an approach, and there are also other initiatives also ongoing. From my perspective, something which should be elaborated in more detail, because the threats of central gateways or central data pods, even worse, are still uh, underestimated. Wondering as part of preparing this report, you had members of the private sector in there, but you'll also have KYC providers who are not necessarily EIDAS certified, right? There are a number of different technology companies out there offering eKYC. It would be like, as we say in English, turkeys voting for Christmas if they all jumped on board to this idea because won't it effectively put them out of business? I mean, was that the objective in, in studying this to say, let's just all only use EIDAS and leave it there? Uh, to be fully honest, there was no such a representative in our working group. So it was easy for us to align on that on the private sector side, but all other ones were, were fond of this, uh, this uh, approach. We are also not uh, discussing too heavily the so-called KYC utilities, 
it was for us inevitable to have access to the necessary attributes in the most trustworthy manner possible. There's a lot of valuable stuff here in this report. What's the next step to make sure this stuff ends up being referenced in the guidance? In our final presentation to the European Commission, we said what are the major impediments and what would be our proposal for the next steps. So impediments were quite clear, as mentioned before, we have hundreds of identification solutions, utilities, whatever you call them. We also have several initiatives in the electronic ID space, but uh, they are limited in scope, the informal, there's, there's a weak governance, if at all. They are either industry specific or scope nationally. For identification, we have the BSI working on the identification of natural persons. We have BITS working on the identification of natural persons, as mentioned before. The FATF also or provided paper. The ISO is working on natural persons' legal attributes. This is uh, gladly one of our uh, members of the European Commission Expert Group is also a member of this working group. So the OpenID is emerging, has emerging work on protocol for transmission of KYC attributes. Uh, we have the emergence of the KYC utilities or shared KYC providers as mentioned before. There's also no common governance or regulation, so this could be problematic. And there is an inherent systemic risk associated with concentration and completely unregulated cross services. So it could end up in a wild, wild west scenario. The next steps we, we proposed from a regular perspective, twofold. One was to revise the AML regulation and formulate corresponding um, EBRA or RTS and guidelines to reflect the standardized attribute-based approach, the necessary levels of assurance as we define it, so quite elevated to the current uh, definition of uh, the Atlas Corporation Network, and the trusted sources direct access because what we need to achieve is then to gain access to these trusted sources, which is not always the case. Slovakia is one example who provides this access. Yeah? They have access to, to many KYC attributes, whereas in, in many other countries, we have to rely on corroborating printouts. How do you supposed to trust that? And the uh, second one was to amend the EIDAS regulation by enhancing EIDAS with the necessary domain-specific attributes. EIDAS Corporation Network is very hesitant to do that because they want to have as few as possible and not as many as possible, although there are, let's say, industry-specific amendments possible. And uh, the respective LOA definitions and set of rules for these varying LOA definitions, as I outlined before, also enforced to the US Corporation Network to act in line with maybe more existing practices, the NIST 863 guidelines, or cooperate with independent standardization bodies such as ISO, or also in, um, to, last but not least to ensure that the identity proofing requirements of qualified certificates used for trust services are consistent with those used for substantial and or high level of assurance EIDs. So they can reuse these existing definitions for EID uh, purposes accordingly. This is something as a, a kind of first step forward to make it more harmonized, but without data harmonization, we are lost anyhow. Yeah? But there's no indication by the EBA as yet that they're going to embrace the recommendations and see if they can roll them into those risk factor guidelines. Is it a matter of timing? Good question. To be honest, uh, I don't really know why they are not really picking up on this report because it clearly states what we would need to make EIDAS also work for the financial services sector. It seems to be that there is still the nationality of the member states predominant to a harmonized approach. But so what, what we outlined in the beginning of the report was also that we see this um, electronic identity as one of the, if not the fundamental pillar of a so-called digital Europe. Without an electronic ID, what can you do? Support hundreds of interfaces and standards? Uh, no, we don't do that. Eh? How this turned out is uh, can be seen in PSD2. 
there was no standard for accessing the data for respective accounts. So what, what was done? Each bank defined their own standard. Maybe there were some national standards. So there was also the Berlin Group standard, which is high-level standard, so to say, with local implementation deviances. So uh, without a standard, there is no pan-European infrastructure and approach. I would just like to say thank you on behalf of Sam and I for taking the time, Eric. It was a pleasure chatting with you, and we hope that we will be able to do that soon again. Likewise, was a pleasure was all mine. Thank you very much. On that note, if you would like to do it, as Eric has done and join us for a chat, or if you have some upcoming topics or ideas you'd like to share with us, feel free to reach out on our LinkedIn page for the podcast or send us a note on our website, captivatedaudience.eu. But you'll have to do it quickly because we'll be setting up our upcoming agenda for the fall after we take a few weeks break for the summer. Until then, have a great day and stay safe. <laughs>